and who we think we are. I want to welcome everybody watching my live stream. I want to welcome all y'all here. I want to encourage you to share the stream. Would you say it with me? Come on, prepare your heart. Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Don't be afraid of the name Jesus. Jesus has something good for me today. Do you believe that? He does. Amen. Amen. We're talking about grace under pressure. So we're going to do the book of 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, excuse me. So if you're looking for like a reference this morning, we're going to do, um, this is what's called biblical exposition. So there's topical types of teaching where we cover subjects and do it in series, and I do a lot of that. Um, but like I cut my teeth on biblical exposition. I'm more, I, I, I'm more of a Bible expositor. So we're going to take a book, we're going to break it down, we're going to look at, we're going to just get in there and we're just going to just get in there and just chew on it a little bit, all right? So we're going to talk about grace under pressure. In the book of 2 Peter, this is what we're going to be looking at. So if you want to read that in the next few weeks, that's the book we're going to be in. And say, Christianity, Christianity. Begin come on, y'all. Christianity, Christianity begins with being born again. But the manifestation, come on, you can say it, of my new life in Christ comes through growth and maturity. You ever plant plants? Anybody ever plant plants, right? So, yes. Those plants, like if you plant the plant and you just kind of leave it to itself, well, it might grow. It might do something, but it's probably going to look a little kind of like scraggly. Like something different happens when you take the seed and you water it and you fertilize it, right? It starts growing a lot faster and it starts growing in like a more healthy way. Then when you start pruning it, cutting away the things in the plant's life that's actually sucking the life out of it, it begins to grow better and it begins to bear more fruit, right? This is how Jesus relates us to him. He relates us as we're seed and we're, he's, the, he's the vine, we are the branches, right? We abide in him, we live in him. And as we fertilize and allow ourselves to be developed and allow ourselves to grow, we'll grow more healthier, we'll grow more abundant, and then when you start cutting the things out of your life and, and eliminating things that are just sucking the life out of you, things that are destructive, things that are dead, damaged, diseased, that's the rule of pr pruning. Anything that's dead, damaged, or diseased, we prune it. Or anything that grows back in on itself, that's another rule of pruning. So anything that's growing in towards you, when it's all about me, that's another thing that comes. And so when we come to Jesus, we have to grow and we have to develop. We have to mature, Right? And so what's happening here is that Peter is writing this book, and he's been writing to these churches in Asia Minor. And so it's basically the sort of uh, Macedonia, Greece, Turkey region, and some regions, regions a little west of that. And so he's writing to these churches in Asia Minor. And you'll understand the cultural context because it's very similar to the one that we find ourselves in. So Peter's writing these churches, and these Christians don't know what to do. They're in a really bad situation. You know what happened? A corrupt leader has come to power. And this corrupt leader has basically turned the world around and has been just doing all of these things that have been leading to a lot of uh, inconveniences or pain in people's lives. So they have this corrupt leader who comes to power. This corrupt leader actually creates an economic crisis. Does that sound familiar? I don't know if that sounds familiar. I don't know. He, he creates an economic crisis. This corrupt leader was Nero. He actually burned the city down. He burned down his own nation. Sound familiar? 
he burned down his own city in order to gain for himself and to profit from the destruction of his own people. So this is what's going on. And out of that corrupt politicalness and out of that, uh, that, that intentional economic destruction, there became social crisis. Lots of divisions were beginning to happen, and they were actually fostering the factions, right? So they were, Nero loved chaos. He loved it. He saw chaos as an opportunity to advance his own political agendas. So the more chaos he could create, the more he could advance his political agenda. This is the ancient world. There's nothing new under the sun, ladies and gentlemen. And so what's happening is, as the Christians find themselves in this world, they find themselves in the midst of all of these changes where they became the hunted, where their voice no longer mattered. Does that sound familiar too? Where the Christian voice was no, what made no difference. They, 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 were, they were literally the persecuted. They were literally the unwanted. Their voice was silenced in all corners. And these Christians were not sure. They weren't sure, like, what do we do? What do we do? How do, how do we handle this? How do, how do we function in this world? And so Peter writes two letters to these, to these Christians. And the second one is the one we're going to focus on. There was a lot of internal destruct, inter destruction and internal destruction going on. And so Peter understood this a lot. Peter had been through fiery trials. It, it's difficult to counsel other people what you've not been through. Can I get a witness here? Right? I, 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 don't, want, I don't want someone counseling me who's never been through it. I want to see some battle scars, you know, and I want to see a victory banner in, with those battle scars, and then you've got my attention. Right? I don't want theorists. I don't want ideologies. I want to see proof, right? That's when it matters to me. And so Peter had been through difficulty. Peter had battle scars. Peter was, it was able to wave the banner of victory. It's Paul said the same thing. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been to war. This faith is something I live. This isn't something I think about. This is something I, 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 I look at. This isn't something I just celebrate. I live this thing, and I have battle scars to prove it. And I can testify to you with certainty that God is a victorious God. And he will see you through the battle. And he will see you through the victory. Because what he's done for me, he'll do for you. This is the narrative, right? This is the message. And this is the message that Peter's bringing. Peter would never have been able to counsel churches had he not had his butt kicked, right? If you want to know what the gospel is, we all come to Jesus and we all celebrate it. Woo! Woo! But when the heat of the day comes on most Christians, they evaporate like snow in summertime. They just evaporate. Their faith is shallow, right? They're, they're like, the, they're like the, the, the seed that's scattered by the roadside. They spring up, but when the heat comes on it, they wither very, very quickly because they have what? No root in themselves. There is no root. They have not rooted themselves in Christ. They are merely shallow believers who would anchor themselves in the soil of what is popular. Huh? And that's, that's what ends up happening. And the heat comes upon them and they evaporate. Peter had endured trial. And he was able to counsel those who had been endured trial. I don't need somebody telling me that. I need somebody who's been through it. Here's Luke 22. Very uncomfortable passage of scripture for most people. How'd you like Jesus to say this to you? So Jesus comes up to you. Insert your name. Uh, so, Kevin, Kevin. Uh, Satan has asked for you. That he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Happy day, that your faith would not fail. Well, thanks, Lord. And when you have gone through it and you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. 
Peter called him Simon, Simon, or Jesus called him Simon, Simon. Every time Jesus called him Simon, Simon, he was identifying with Peter that you still live like your former life. When he called him Peter, it meant you get it. When he called him Simon, it meant you don't get it. So when every time you see Jesus calling uh, Peter Simon, it's because Simon is living like his old self. And he's saying, Simon, Simon, Peter, because you have undealt with issues from your old self, the devil is using this as a point of accusation against you, and he's asked for you. This is the whole concept of deliverance. And Peter was able to go through things, and Peter was able to overcome, and he had been through difficulty. And, Peter, and God is telling him, once you go through this, Peter, you're not going to like it. But I have to let this go on you because you keep reverting to your old ways. Where did Peter go when, he, when Jesus was crucified? Where did he go? Anybody? He went back to what? Where did Jesus find him? Fishing. He went immediately back to his old life. Immediately. And Jesus goes and confronts him and basically has a conversation with him on the beach. And it's about, do you love me more than these? The theological discussion in that passage is, what's these? What was the these that Jesus was talking about? Was it the fishing tackle? Was it the boats? Was it the lifestyle that he had lived? Was it, the, was it the, the, the opinions of the people around him? Do you love me more than the people around you? Do you love me more than their opinion? Do you love me more than this job that you do? Do you? That was the challenge. And if you do, then do what I ask you to do. And that was, that's the whole conversation with Peter. So Peter had gone through and had been through a few decades at this point of really having his life turned into a train wreck. Having his narcissism, having his self-interest, having his love and his passion for other things undone. And so he's in a position now to now counsel churches through insane difficulty. Lollipop pastor can't bring you through difficulty. I'm just going to tell it like it is. It ain't happening. Christian, there are times in and times that we'll, we will pass through. We're going to go through it. Jesus has got it, and we will be victorious, so you don't have to worry about it. Where lollipop faith isn't going to get it done. If your theology cannot overcome your circumstances, your theology is wrong. Your belief system and the way that you perceive and lead and the way that people lead, well, just happy day. It's not, it's not like that. There is happy day. We have victory in Jesus. But sometimes we got to go through it. It's a rag on your head and a knife in your teeth, and it's a throwdown. And it's you or me. One of us isn't leaving this alley alive, devil, and I can tell you it's not going to be me. It's going to be me. you got to have that kind of, oh, Jesus is going to fight for you. No, he isn't. He's going to fight with you. You don't know, again, you don't know your Bible. We think that God's going to do something for us. No, he will do it with you. He's already done it for you, and he's given you the authority. Now you have to do it with him. Well, I'm just going to wait for Jesus to do it. Start the clock. I, I, look, I got saved a long time ago, and I know Christians that were in the faith longer than me that were waiting on God to do something. And you know what they are? They're still waiting. The concept is partnership with him. What does God desire? What does God want? What is the path for me to go forward? And with him I go. That's the whole thing. Grace under pressure becomes the theme of Peter's life. So what is grace? Grace isn't zen. Grace isn't, grace isn't this sense of empathy, you know, feeling sorry. Say it with me. Grace, grace. is spiritual power, spiritual power that moves with love. You need grace under pressure. You know what you need? You need spiritual power that moves towards the highest good. That's what overcomes. 
So grace is spiritual power moving in love. Grace under pressure is having the spiritual power to overcome what it is you're facing. The wisdom, the fortitude, the courage, the determination, that's what grace means. Grace is an empowerment, right? It's not a feeling. It's an empowerment. Say it with me. Grace Grace. is an empowerment, right? We're being empowered. Hebrews, where do we get grace? Hebrews tells us where we get grace. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace, huh? that we may obtain mercy in the time, and grace in the time of need. So say it, as a Christian, I'm a son, and a, da- a son or a daughter. I'm gonna, this is going to help you. I'm, 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 my name's Pastor Kevin, and I'm your friend. I need to bring some of you past your theological valleys, and I need to bring you to a place of higher learning and higher understanding. Say this, as a Christian, I am not called to the altar. I'm called before the throne. This whole concept that we just hug the, hug the cross and we hug the old rugged cross and we just got to come before the altar, the, the price has been paid and Christ is resurrected. Nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to come before an altar. Nowhere. But we are commanded to come before a throne. We come for, before the rightful seated authority who is our Father. Why? So that we may receive the spiritual power from the only one who can give it, because you have a right to it. The world does not have a right to it. You have a right to it. In Jesus, you have the right to receive spiritual power, overcoming power, and to activate that. You have not only, so that grace is the spiritual empowerment. Say it with me. Mercy Mercy. is covenant loyalty. That's what it means in the Bible. Mercy, we think, feel bad. Oh, mercy. So I'm going to come before the throne of grace. Oh, God, just be gracious to me because I'm such a loser. Have mercy. Have empathy. Have a feeling towards me. That's how we teach this stuff. And what we have is we have anemic sons and daughters who don't know the rightful application of that. I'm not coming. I'm coming boldly. I'm not coming. Oh, God, have grace on me. Have mercy on me. Oh, please, just drop down pity. No, I come before the throne of grace that I might receive the power that is rightfully mine, and I might receive the loyalty from my Father that is based upon the covenant that I have with him. It's a totally different paradigm. You're not beggars. You're not beggars, man. Stop acting like a beggar. You don't know what I did last night. I don't really care, right? You don't know what I've done. I always tell people, you don't know what he's done. You have access to that throne not because of what you've done. You have access to that throne, that willful and rightful authority because of what he's done. Yeah? And you come before the throne, not the altar. We have a bunch, we have begging congregations that just want to weep. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, God! You know, look for weeping in the Bible. Look for it in the Old Testament. Look when people wept before the Lord. He grabbed them and was like, get on your feet. Set yourself up, Job. Get out of pity. Right? Oh, but they wept between the porch and the altar. That weeping is a lament. Lament, and it relates to repentance. It doesn't relate to willful sorrow. Big difference. So when they're weeping before the Lord, they're in lament. Father, we have sinned. Lord, us and our fathers before us have sinned, and we brought this upon ourselves, and we acknowledge this. But in the New Testament, we don't even go before an altar. We go before a throne. Big difference. Big paradigm shift. Some of you even taught your whole Christian life, oh, just hug to the cross. Oh, the old rugged cross. Jody's like, we will never sing Old Rugged Cross at this church. (laughs) You've been taught that your whole life. And what's it done for you? Nothing. 
But I'll tell you what, we'll do something for you. When you understand your position and you understand the access that you have to the governing authority, and you understand that if I go before him and I need the activating power to overcome the circumstances, and I'm not getting it from an altar, and I'm not getting it through pity, and I'm not getting it through hugging the cross, I'm getting it for standing on my feet as a son and knowing who I am and knowing what I'm drawing from. And the, loyal, and the Lord will give me mercy, not a feeling. He will give me covenantial loyalty. He will look at you and say, that's my daughter. Give her what she asked for. Why? You know, but she was smoking and listening to Jay-Z. Jesus is like, so? Give her what she asked for. Because it's not based upon, I'm not saying your outward actions don't matter, but his loyalty to you is not based upon outward action. It's not. It's what's called amazing grace. All things are lawful, not all things are profitable. You can do stupid things, and it's not going to profit you, and it'll probably end up destroying you. But it doesn't disqualify you as his daughter. Look no further to your own children and figure that one out. Your kids do things you don't agree with, but they're still your child, right? You don't always agree with their decisions. They always do things they don't want to. They have a mind of their own. They completely disobey you, but when they come home, they're your child. That's the way it is. So Simon Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's speaking to them. So verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained, say it with me, like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of God and our Savior. The first thing, the way, first thing Peter introduces himself is he says, I'm a doulos. That's what the word servant means. Willful servant. He's an apostolos. I'm a sent one. Before, Jesus, before Peter blings his title, he blings his position and the position of his heart. He could come out there and go, Peter the apostle hereby decrees to you, and he would have every authority to do that because he held that position. However, he doesn't bling his title. He blings the position of his heart. Peter, the one who willfully gives his life to Christ, doulos. Peter, the one who willfully yields all of his life to Christ, doulos. I'll give you some. Just again, I don't know, I'm on a religious kick here this morning. You know, what, you know where the word doulos comes from? In the Bible, they were not permitted to take slaves. And if they did take slaves through captivity and war, they were only allowed to keep them for a specific period of time. And they were, they were commanded to adopt them into the family. So if they got a slave through war, which they were allowed to take, they were only allowed to keep that slave for seven years. And, so that, and then they had to let that slave go free. And then when they, when they held that slave, they were to bring that slave into the household and they were to treat him as a member of the family. That's one aspect. The other aspect was is if you wanted to borrow money in that economy, they didn't have banks. So they would go to a rich landowner and says, I need to borrow 50 grand. And they said, okay, you need to work for me for three years and I'll pay you the 50 grand. And so they, they would become indentured servants. They would become bond servants. What a doulos was is at the end of that term, the doulos says, I want to keep serving you, and I want to do it willfully. And he would, take the, he would take the servant into the town before the public. It would be a public decree. And they would take the servant's ear, and they would drive an awl through their ear, and they would put a gauge in the servant's ear. You guys know what gauges are, right? You all see gauges? Right? I'm not promoting gauges. You know, you know the big holes in the ears you guys wear? And so they, and it, was a, and it was a testimony that I served this man willingly. You know, this man is not doing injustice. My term with him has been fulfilled, I, you know, but I'm still working for him, and I am his willful servant. And that's what Peter, when the, when the apostles, particularly in the New Testament, they use this word servant, they use this word doulos, willful. I bind myself to him. I am under no obligation. I do it willingly. I've been free, and in my freedom, I return all of my freedom back unto him. Power. Right? He says, I'm a doulos. So he blings his position more than he blings his title. He said, we have obtained 
So like precious faith. So the first thing is, is that faith is extremely precious to the Lord. There are a lot of things that are precious. There are a lot of things that are precious in this world. There are a lot of things that are precious to us. The greater question is, is what is precious to the Lord? Do you know what he taught, cherishes more than anything? Faith. It is a treasure to him. Trust is a treasure to him. He, he just likes to be believed. He treasures it. Your faith and your trust are huge to him. They're precious to him. And he says, laid hold of. He uses this word obtain. It means laid hold of. Say it with me. Jesus is offering. I have to lay hold of it. This is what salvation is all about. Jesus is offering salvation. But salvation means nothing until you obtain it. Now, the word obtain means you got to grab it. If you don't grab it, it's not, it's not going to happen. You must lay hold of it. You must lay hold of what Jesus offers you. He, he offers you a hope in a future. But if you don't lay hold of the hope in the future that Jesus has for you, it's out there in wonderland. It lies out there mystically. You may continue to prophetically see your future and wonder why you've never been able to obtain it because you've never laid hold of it. You've never put your arms around it and willfully began to pursue that from his view. You have to lay hold of it. What the Lord offers, you have to, obtain, you have to lay hold of he offers you a hope in a future, but you have to lay hold of it. And it uses this word righteousness. It's a legal term. You've got light, precious faith, and you have received righteousness through Jesus Christ. You're right to God. You're as right to God as you're ever going to be. You're never going to be. It's an issue of position, right? It, the, the, the way the kingdom works is God establishes you in a position, and he calls you what you are long before you get there. You give your life to Christ, and you are, you are translated. You are repositioned. You come out of darkness and into light. You who are an outcast are now a son or a daughter. So that's what happens. That's the transaction. You come out of darkness and now you're positioned in Christ. And that position is what establishes you in righteousness. So when you come before the Lord, he's not going, oh, hey, bring me, you know, bring me the tapes from last night. Let's see what Pastor Kevin did last night to see if he qualifies for me to hear him. Right? He's not doing that. I'm, I'm qualified based upon the righteousness that I've received in Jesus. He tells you you're right. You don't get to tell you you're right. No one can tell you you're right. That's this whole idea of people saying, well, when I get before God, I'm going to, you know, I believe my good works are going to outweigh my bad. And it's like trying to say, I can determine my own righteousness. How's that working for you? It, you never know. You don't get the chance. To, you don't get to tell yourself what's right. You don't get to tell anybody what's right. The Lord determines what's right. And when he says you're right, he's the final answer. You can choose. You, you may be a Christian and you may be right before the Lord. And you can choose to live outside of that righteousness, never fully understanding that you're, you're accepted, never fully understanding that you're a child and you're, you're, not, you're not outside, you're inside. You're an heir and you have access to promises and inheritance. You can do that. It's possible to be righteous in God and be completely and woefully ignorant of all of the benefits that he gives to us. This is, a, this is just the truth. And so we're called unto him and God is precious faith. And what's, what happens in precious faith is he gives you righteousness. Say it. Because he gave it. It can't be taken away. He gives it. He gives it. He gives it. The Bible says the Lord, is, the Lord does not repent right? The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. In other words, he doesn't change his mind. What he gives, he doesn't say, I'm going to take that back. He never takes it back. He never takes it back. He doesn't. Gifts and callings without repentance. He doesn't change his mind, Christian. You know, we have a hard time understanding this because we don't understand what really 
spiritual empowerment moving in love actually is. We don't really understand what acceptance is in his eyes. Your kid can blow the whole house up, but he's still your son. It's true. You may not like it. He may hurt you. He may hurt you very deeply, or she may hurt you. She may hurt you very deeply, but that's still your child. That, that, that sort of disowningment is never going to happen. You can like, choose to ignore him like humans do. You know, the Lord says, I can't forget you. I've tattooed you on my hand. Huh? That's literally what he does. The Bible says he tattoos. I don't know who the ink angel is, but there is an ink angel apparently. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, okay, here's the list, Lord, of who came to Jesus uh, this week. And Jesus is like, go ahead. Lay it on me. And he just tattoos it on his hand. It's the word etched. Same word that's used for tattoo. Jesus is the only one who can make you right. I want to go off on that, but I'm trying to pull back. I have all sorts of things to say on tattoos. Calm down, Kevin. Calm down. Oh, should I say it? No, I shouldn't say it. Oh, oh, I want to say it, but I'm not going to say it. No, don't encourage me. Don't encourage I just have an, my monologue. I'm just talking to myself verbally, so I'm like, all right. I don't think I can say the next sentence without saying what I wanted to say. People that, people that want to, okay. Christian, say it with me, Christian dumb. There's kingdom, and there's Christian dumb, right? Christian dumb is these religious elites that think that our relationship with God is all based upon externals. It's not. It's based upon internals. And so they want to quote this verse in Leviticus that tells them not to tattoo their body. But that same verse in its context tells them not to shave their beards either. Then we go into other things where they say, well, uh, there, there's, I mean, I, there, you, you shouldn't wear blended fabric. So I'm like, you want to judge the dude that has tattoos and you're wearing poly rayon? Huh? Where's your Abrahamic beard? It's in the same verse. You can't pull that out. It's in the same block. Same block. You can't say, well, look at tattoos and I'll go look at poly rayon. You know? Look at tattoos and I'll go look at the beard. You know? They were worshiping through the tattoos. That was the problem. They were, they were using their tattoos as symbolisms of fealty or loyalty towards their gods. You know, and so it's like, and how many, you know, I mean, most people that become Christians, they end up regretting their tattoos. They're like, why did I get that, man? That was so dumb. Because you did it as a testimony to something. So it's not necessarily a wise idea, but it's not prohibited, and it doesn't send you to hell. Do you understand that? And I know there's some, there's some holy rollers out there. They're going to have a problem with what I say. And they're going to get all cringy. They're going to get all legal on me. You know, and I like to say, have a Cinnabon. Jesus is okay with it. Relax. Relax. What are you going to do? I was telling this. What are you going to do when Jesus whips his robe open and he's got a tattoo down the side of his leg? What are you going to do? Huh? He's got a tattoo he hasn't even shown anybody yet. Huh? We don't even know. Is it like red ink? Is it like glistening gold? The Bible says, down his leg is tattooed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're going to know Jesus at the beach because he's got a blazing tattoo down his leg. Well, which one's Jesus? Oh, there he is. He's the one with the monster tat down his leg that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah? Does that make you uncomfortable? You need to reframe your identity. You need to reframe your theology. This is about liberty, Christian. Liberty is not a license to sin. Liberty is a license to become. That's what it is. That's, that's what it is. Do you have tattoos? I don't have any tattoos. I don't have any plan to get any tattoos. 
I just, I have an issue with people, with, I, I have an issue with self-righteousness. And I have an issue with religion. Right? Jesus didn't come to start a religion, he came to start a revolution. Period. Period. Re look, Christianity as a religion gets us nowhere. Christianity is some sort of, you know, I don't even know. It's just this cultural disco that we've created now. That gets us nowhere. Kingdom Christians is what advances this gospel. Yeah? And this is freedom. My wife and I were just talking about it because she, she, my, she like my wife, so she's doing school of the prophetic, so she, she likes to work. She wants to, like, you know, go over everything with me and listen to my opinions. And then she asks me 50 questions, and then I tell her, and she does nothing that I say. So I'm always like... Why do you ask me? And then you don't do anything that I say. She's like, well, I just like hearing what you think, and I like hearing what you think of me and, 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 and what I'm saying and everything. And I'm like, you're amazing. You're great. You're a gift. You're super. You're stellar. All of the above. And, but like as I was explaining to her a bunch of different things, she said to me, she goes, you know, what struck me when you were telling me this is she said the amount of liberty that's in the New Testament. Because we were talking about prophetic you know, and I was telling her in the New Testament, there really isn't a lot of rules on prophetic except that it be edifying, exhorting, and bring comfort. That's the only rule that God places over it, that the prophetic word must come from edification. It has to build someone up. It has to exhort. It has to bring them towards something or away from something, and it has to bring comfort or it's not a prophetic word. And I was explaining that to her. And I was telling her that in the Old Testament, there were all these different ways that they did it, and there was a lot more structure to the prophetic. And I was telling her that, like, in the New Testament, it's like an unleashing. It's an unleashing. And do you know why? You say, well, I don't know. That could, that could go wrong. Not if you have the Holy Spirit. Not if you're willfully submitted to the Holy Spirit. Not yourself. But so, again, I digress. Back to the, back to the text. <laughs> you're free, Christian. You're free. You're free. You don't know what freedom is. That's the problem. You really don't know what freedom is. That's why we, even when we become Christians, we go right back into some other form of freaking bondage. We come out of the enslavement of our sin and the darkness of our past and our emotions, our ego, our drug addictions, and our traumas, and then we go right back into Christianity and we build walls around us and legalities and structures because we like abuse for some reason. And we don't understand freedom. We don't understand liberty. We don't understand it. And we don't even give ourselves the liberty to become who we truly are. Just a thought for another day, of course. Back to 2 Peter. <laughs> Jesus is the only one who can make you right. If you're looking for righteousness, ladies and gentlemen, you're not picking it up at Costco. Okay? If you're looking for righteousness, you can't order it on Amazon, and Instacart is not delivering. The only one who brings righteousness is Jesus. The only one who has the power, the ability, and the will to make you right with God is Jesus. John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. He didn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, or I am a life. He said, no, I am the one and only. I am not the one among many. I'm the one and only. No one comes to the Father but by me. Say it with me. There's one rock star, and his name is Jesus. That's right. He's the one and only. He's the one and only. And he can rock star it out all day with me, man. I'm fine with that. His righteousness and his decree over you, who can condemn you whom God has justified? So Romans says, who can condemn you whom God has justified? And 1 John says, if your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. You know what that means? Your opinion of you doesn't matter. But my opinion of me feels so real. 
It feels so real, but it's not true. The truth is what God says about you. And you need to get out of the reality, and you need to pursue the truth until the truth becomes your reality. That's the art. That's what we're called to do. We, we, we surrender to reality. We're never to surrender to reality. We're to pursue truth until truth becomes our reality. That's the way the game is played. Again, this isn't Christianity, lollipop Christianity. This isn't pinwheels and, and fish tanks in the hallway. Nothing against lollipops, fish tanks in the hallway, and pinwheels. I'm all in. I wish we could give them out. Let's all have a, you know, a happy basket as you go. I'm thrilled with that. You know? Love to send you out with a smile. But just know at the end of the day, that's all that that is. That really isn't going to bring the transformation. Right? Do you want transformation? I want a faith that works. Right? I'm looking for something that's alive. I'm looking for something that's more powerful than me. Huh? I'm looking to see that God has promised these things, and I want to see these things in my life. I'm not looking for social acceptance. I'm looking for kingdom relevancy. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I hunger for. That's the passion and the pursuit of my life is what is right to him and his kingdom. This is what we're pursuing here. And this is what it looks like. It's just a different paradigm, right? We have to see it differently. God puts a final answer over you. So when the compass is set, when the compass is spinning, when the compass is spinning, you know what happens when the compass spins? You don't know which way to go. <laughs> Imagine being in an ocean and the compass is spinning. Not a good thing, right? You're in the woods and the compass is spinning. Not a good thing. And so what's happening with these Christians is the compass is spinning. The culture has shifted in such a radical way, and they feel like everything in their lives is out of control. It's gas prices, food prices. There are going to be food shortages. You know, why are we sending oil overseas? Isn't that oil belong to us? <laughs> Feeling powerless, helpless, and out of control through the corruption and the intentional deconstruction of their own nation. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Same thing going on here. And he tells them, look, look to Jesus. That's the first thing he tells them. God's your compass, not this market. God's your compass, not this economy. God's your compass, not the White House. God's your compass. Look to Jesus. You know how Jesus, he can thwart to his own purposes. He doesn't control, but he, you know what Jesus does? He inserts his will into man's will. And when God's will and man's will intersect, what's something's going to give, and it's not going to be God's will. You know, the, the subject, the world, this world is not subject to, man, to man's authority. In, in a sense of the final outcome. The final outcome of this earth is subject to Jesus' authority. And so when men try to take it this way or devils try to take it this way, the Lord just goes, he didn't even bring his will, he just touches it. He goes, nah, we're not going to go that way. And then he touches it, and boop, it just moves in the other direction. God's working, Christian. And that's what he's telling them. Look to Jesus. Jesus is your first priority. Say it. Jesus is not just for my last day. Jesus is for my every day. Here's a quote. There's a Twitter. There's a Facebook. There's a something. He's not just for your last day. He's for your every day. He says grace and peace abound to you. So this whole theme he's telling them is grace. He says you need more grace. Say it with me. When the pressure's on, I need more grace. Right? And Peter's saying, let the grace of God that is yours by right of inheritance, let it abound. That word abound, let it, let it be multiplied. Look for it. Find it in every area. Spiritual power moving in love. That's what it means. It's like, Lord, I can't deal with this. I need your help. Boom. He gives it to you, don't, doesn't he? Anybody with me? Huh? You ever done that before? Anybody ever done that? Lord, I'm about to lose my Jesus right now on this person. Right? <laughs> and so I'm like, I need your help. And the Holy Spirit will be like, okay, calm down. I said somebody tell me this. That, I, I, something happened to me recently. This person told me this. 
And, um, and I, I, I don't want to say, I, was, I don't know what the word was, but I was not happy. I wasn't angry or raging, but I was just like, you got to be kidding me. And I felt like, in my spirit, I felt like rocks began to lift and levitate off the ground. You know what I mean? I was like, what? And all these rocks started levitating, right? And then, I, you know, and I'm, and I'm like, what do I do, Holy Spirit? And he's like, calm down. Put the rocks down, Kevin. <laughs> and he gave me the grace to deal with something that I didn't want to deal with. And he gave me the grace to overcome something that I wanted to impulsively react to, this grace, right? That spiritual power that's moving in my best interest, that's what grace is. Spiritual power moving in love, which is your best interest, the highest good according to God. Spiritual power moving in that direction. God will give you grace. Grace in marriage? Lord, you got to help me love this woman. Are there any brothers in the room, Right? You have to help me love this woman. <laughs> I'm having a really hard time here, and you need to help me. And you know what he does? He helps me. He does. He does. It's a supernatural experience, but he helps me. Ladies, I encourage you to do the same with your husband. If you look to yourself, you've lost. We are not self-sufficient. Anytime we look to ourselves, we've lost. That's rule one. That's another rule. You know, you want to know like just basic principles? When you look to you, you've lost. You don't have the answers he does. You don't have the power he does. The good news is as Christians, you have a communal relationship with the Holy Spirit. The world does not have that. You have a communal relationship to the Holy Spirit who will give you wisdom, insight, power, love, whatever you need. You have a provision already made for that. It doesn't happen unless you go there, right? You can levitate rocks and just start firing them. I'm telling you, man, I saw it. I was so mad. I mean, I literally, I was like, it was transcendent. I just saw these rocks come up, and it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're like hovering. I was going to unleash them on him, like something out of the Avengers or something. I don't know. He said, let grace be multiplied. When the pressure's on, you need more grace. You know, I look at life sometimes. I don't know if you all feel this way. And sometimes I walk out, and it's like a dumpster fire. You ever had that? You just, you just walk outside, and you're like, why is this burning? Like, how did that happen? You, you want everything to go wrong. You got this great plan. You're like, this is the way it's going to work. It's going to go like this, and this is the way it's going to happen. And all these things are going to come around, and it's a dumpster fire. And I asked the Lord last night, I said, what is it like, Lord? I was trying to get an example, and I felt like he told me it's like a bad episode of Scooby-Doo, right? <laughs> it feels like a joke, but it's kind of scary at the same time. You're not really sure what the outcome's going to be, right? Sometimes life feels like that. You're not really sure what's going on, and it feels like, is this real? Is this seriously happening? Everybody ever feel like that? I mean, some version of that where you just like don't know like why is the dumpster burning? You know what I mean? Why is there cartoon things? Where is this all this craziness going on around me? Where is this coming from? It's true. We need grace. Say it with me. In times of pressure, it's time for more grace. You know the first person you need to be gracious to? Exactly. Gold star, right? You need to be gracious to you. Because you cannot be gracious to another if you don't know how to be gracious to yourself. Say this, I'm just a broken person doing the best I can in the circumstances I'm in with what I have available. This does not mean that anything I'm doing is right, but it means at least I can understand it. And if I can understand it, I can forgive it. And if I can forgive it, I can release it. And when you have that tone of grace towards yourself, you'll have that tone of grace towards other people. 
All the Lord expects of you is to do the best you can in the situation you're in with your tools that you have. Most of you have made stupid decisions because you didn't have the tools to make another decision. If you had different tools, you would have made a different decision. Can I get a witness? It looks like if I knew, if I knew then what I know now, well, you didn't have the tools then that you have now. Or you're in a circumstance, in a situation where you have to act and you're not sure how to do it. This is what, this is what creates the mess. There's no judgment there. There's no self-condemnation. There may be consequences to that level of stupidity or that level of not having what you need, but that doesn't mean you're condemned. And you need to be gracious to yourself. And then in turn, you need to be gracious, secondly, to your family, those that are closest to you. We're hardest on ourselves and we're hardest most on our spouses and our kids. Yeah. And then it goes out from there. All right? So grace must increase. Verse 2, verse 3, is divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of, of him who called us to his glory and goodness. Through these things, we have been given very great and precious promises so that by the promises, everybody say it with me, by the promises, we draw from the divine nature. Have you ever wondered what divine nature can do? Hmm? The world was created by divine nature. The dead are raised by divine nature. Provision appears by divine nature, right? Salvation is granted through divine nature. You have access to divine nature. Say, how do I have access? Through the promises. We draw from the divine nature through the promises. You and you alone have access to that through Christ. If you're not a Christian, you don't have access to that. You say, well, I want access. Well, then give your life to Jesus and you get access too, right? Simple equation. His divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, right? It's, well, I'd say this. It's divine power. Say it with me. It's divine power. It's not human power. And here again, I'm on, a, I'm on a theological kick. It's divine power. It's not theological power. See, the church gets into this thing. They think it's through knowledge that we can accomplish. You can't accomplish anything. It's not by might nor power. It's by my spirit. It's through divine power, not theological power, not human power, not human intellect. We do it through divine power. We have to draw from that. He's given us. So it says he's already given us. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus. has already provided all that I need for life and godliness. He's already provided it. What do you need now? It's already, the provision's already there. It's already there. There's, God knows what you need. There's already provision. The word Jehovah Jireh means provision, and it means his provision will be seen. It's a dual context. And what it means is God has provided, but it's a foreknowledge of provision. God's already put the provision out in front of him. When Isaac was going up the mountain with Abraham, and Isaac looked at his father and said, Lord, where, Father, where is the sacrifice? Anybody know Abraham's response? He said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice, which is a dual meaning too. The Lord himself will become the sacrifice, but the Lord has already provided a sacrifice. That's where his faith was. He's going up there to kill his son, which that's another thing. Because God told him, I want to see. It, that, that's, I don't even want to get into that. That'll take you too long to build. I'm running out of time. But the point being is that God provided him. He provided. The provision was there before Abraham ever got up the mountain. Do you know what's interesting? That until Abraham operated in obedience, he couldn't see the provision that was right in front of him. The ram was in the thicket the whole time. But Abraham couldn't see it until he acted in obedience. It's the same thing with Hagar. She, the Lord opened her eyes to a well that was right in front of her the whole time. The whole time, the well was already there. 
God already had provision, but until she activated and stepped in, she picked up what she put down. That's what happened with Hagar. God gave her something, and she put it down. And now she finds herself destitute in need of water and dying in a desert. And when she went back and picked up what God gave her, her eyes opened and she saw a well that was in front of her the whole time. Same thing here with Abraham. The provision's already there. But until he acted in obedience, he couldn't even see what God had already done. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> He's already given it. Provision's been made. No matter the circumstances or what the future holds, God say with me, no matter the circumstances or what the future holds, the Lord has provided. He has provision, power, and purpose. And say with me, it's already there. That's the concept. The activation is through the promises. It's through the promises. And I don't even have time to unpack this. What are the promises? Well, I could, his name is a promise, Jehovah Jireh. God's promised you to provide for you. Right? I, I, you could get into it. What does God promise? There's a whole book of promises. Go find something. Look it up at the promises. Look, at, look up inheritances. What is the Lord's name? His name is your inheritance. Jehovah Jireh means he's going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. You're not going to starve. You're not going to be on the street. I've been young and I've been old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. So who told you you're going to the street? Right? Jesus isn't telling you that. Who told you? You reactivate. So the concept is God's already taking care of his people. The activation is how do we get there? And we get there through the promises. He says so that we could escape corruption in the world. You guys see any, any corruption in the world? So we draw from the divine nature, right? And we activate the things that belong to us through the promises. And the Bible also tells us that we can escape the corruption that's in the world, right? You guys see any corruption going on around here lately? Like anywhere? Anywhere at all? Right? We got... Japanese presidents being killed. I mean, there's all kinds of chaos, corruption everywhere. The Bible says you can transcend that. You can live above it. You know what that means? It means unaffected by it. Unaffected. You are a Christian. You, you, know, you know what's interesting? Is that the devil knows who you are more than you do. Huh? I'll give you another one. The devil knows who you are more than most pastors know who you are because they have no idea who they are. He knows that you can be unaffected by circumstances. He knows it because it's your inheritance. And then you say, well, why am I affected by circumstances? Because you partner with it. You partner with it. And he is always trying to move you into an agreement. You can listen to the prophets of doom or you can listen to the prophet of hope. Which one are you partnering with? You can listen to what the culture in your past says to you about your identity or you can listen to what the scripture says about your identity. You can say, oh, we're all going down. We're all going down. My neighbor pulls up in a golf cart. He drives down my street every day, and he's like, hey, did you hear about You know, he's like, hey, it's going to be a rough year. We're going to go through a recession. We're going to go through a recession. Did you hear that? You know, he's like, don't be making any big financial moves. My neighbor's giving me this counsel. Don't be making any big, I'm, I'm planning massive financial moves in Jesus' name. He's like, don't be making any big financial moves. We're going into a recession. You know what I told him? I don't participate in recessions. He went like this. I said, I'm not bound to this earth. I'm bound to his world. Heaven's not broke. Heaven's never going to be broke. I do not partner with recessions. You all can. You're free to do so. You're free to do so. Or you can partner with your inheritance and you can partner with your destiny. I didn't say you didn't have to have an alley fight to get it. Yeah? The devil's, you're going to have to prove to the devil who you are. You could be strong, but he wants to see. He wants to say, do you know your strength? Do you know your moves? 
You learn to start busting the devil in his mouth, and he's not going to mess with you. He's going to go find the weak and the timid, the ones who don't know who they are, right? I'm like, I'm the Christian, I'm the Christian you, you got warned about, devil, right? What right do you have to touch me? What right do you have to encroach upon me? What right do you dare have a word to speak against me that is not that of my father? What right? Where are you? Well, I just hear in these voices that I'm a loser. I hear I'm a loser. I grab that devil by the throat. I grab him by the throat. I'm saying, who dares speak to me? I don't hear any voices. Nobody speaks to me. If he touches me or anything that belongs to me, I'm going to grab him by the throat too. I'm going to pull him out of the shadow, and I'm going to know what he has on me. I'm going to understand. You're going to tell me what you have. You will hold nothing on me. Huh? Huge loss, huge concept, completely missing in the church. Deliverance. Deliver us from evil. Isn't that part of God's prayer? Then comes the kingdom. Then comes the power. Then comes the glory. After the deliverance. Just a thought. <laughs> we escape corruption. We can transcend it. You want to be in a recession? Go right ahead. As for me and my house, wrong answer. And I will prosper in season and out. I will succeed in the economy up, and I'll succeed in the economy down. And if you have faith, Christians prosper more in a down economy than at any other time. But most Christians can never bind themselves to that level of faith because they listen to stupid voices. And that affects you because you partner with it. You have to make an agreement. Whose report will you believe? Remember the story of Joshua? They're going into the promised land. He said, look, you're going to manifest what you're in covenant with. What you're in covenant with is what's going to manifest with your life. If you're going to believe this, then this is what's going to happen. Elijah said the same thing to the people. He said, where's your covenant? If you serve God, then do this. If you don't, then go back and worship the gods of your past. He told them that because you will manifest where your belief system lies. You can be a Christian and born again, and you can look no further than why your life is manifesting that. There are rights, there are things, there's a lot of different reasons, but part of it is your covenant. As so many, so many cultural Christians, faith is lost in the church, man. Where's our faith? Who told you you're going to fail? Well, the economy's down, the stock market's down, gas prices through the roof, they're all over the place. I don't know what's going on. You know what? Tell Jesus to fire somebody and give you a job, Craig. That's what you need to do. Lord, I need you to fire somebody and give me the job that I need. Oh, God will do that. You're dang right he will. He gives nations for your ransom. He will give up an entire nation for you. That's not fair. Nothing fair about favor. Amen. What kind of Christian are you? Are you a cultural Christian? Huh? Are you a kingdom Christian? I'm speaking the language of kingdom here, people. Huh? This is kingdom language I speak. Come on. <laughs> Jesus, I need you to fire some sinner and give me that job. In fact, give me a 30% raise on top of that. And oh yeah, I don't want to work weekends anymore. Because I want to worship you. She's like, take this down. <laughs> Go find me a job in his career field and find me some dude that we can show the door you're like, that guy has a family. That guy needs Jesus. And maybe that dude losing his job is his self-sufficiency and his ego and his pride needs to be humbled in order they can look for something beyond himself. The bread belongs to the children. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Just a thought. Just something for you all to consider. That's all. Just a, just a thought. 
For this very reason, add to your faith. Here's where I'm going to close. I'm going to close right here. I'm trying to save time so I can hopefully do this, but it's going to go faster than I wanted it to. But for this reason, because we have great and precious promises, because all of these things are given to us, build out your faith is what he's saying. Add to your faith. This word add, say it with me. Epi zergio. You're like, Pepe Sergio? No, Epi zergio. Eh? And you know what it means? Epi is a pun. And the word zergio is actually a musical term. And it means harmony or symphony. Upon you, let your life sing. Upon you, take these things upon you to build a symphony of sound around your life. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. I mean, I've been to Bible school. I've been to discipleship. I've been to training. They're like, add to your faith. You need to work on this. You need to work on this. No, I need to let the music of this play out in my life. These are the things that I need to pursue. These are the harmonies that I need to bring into my life. And he says, what do you need to bring into your life? He said, add to your, add to your faith virtue. What does virtue mean? Virtue means excellence. The harmony of the believer's life is the pursuit of excellence. It's not the pursuit of perfection because we're not getting there, right? Excellence, listen, I tell people all the time, perfection is not the goal. Excellence is. I mean, if we can get perfection, hey, hallelujah, let's get it perfect. Let's get 10 out of 10, you know? Let's do it. But we're to pursue what is excellent. And it's, it's also, virtue also means true life. It means where you're living from. Pursue what you're living from. All of us are living from somewhere. Where are you living? Are you living from your past? Where, where do you draw life from? What do you, what do you, are you living from what other people think about you? Are you living from self-perceptions? Or are you living through true life? This freedom, this life. You know what I'm talking about when you were born again? Anybody remember when they were born again? Right? Might have been a few years. Might have been a couple decades. Remember how alive you were? I mean, you were alive. Nothing mattered. This is the whole idea. Live from a true place. Live from excellence. Then he uses the word add to your faith virtue, then add to it knowledge. It's gnosis. It means practical developmental knowledge. We have epignosis, which is experiential knowledge, and we have the other one, which is gnosis, which is developmental knowledge. What is he saying? Put yourself in developmental programs. Put yourself Bible school, right? Doulas, sign up for, you want to be a bond servant? Sign up and serve here. We'd love to have you do that. You're more than welcome. There's a sign-up over there. The idea, of or the idea of gnosis is put yourself, he's saying, look, listen, this is where your life, this is the symphony that can surround, you need to start to surround your life with. Put yourself in learning environments. We run schools here. We do it all the time. We run schools, we try to do Bible schools. Why? Because this matters to Jesus. Put yourself in a learning environment that develops you and brings you into practical knowledge. Grow. Pursue excellence, temperance. You know what temperance means? Say it with me. Temperance, temperance means mastery. Every single one of you in this room is capable of mastering something, right? One of the things I was a master at, I was master at changing a diaper when my children were standing up with one hand. Huh? Huh? <laughs> You're like, you should, you should aim a little higher, Kevin. But anyway, that was something my wife would be like, do it, Kevin, do it. Do it, show them how to change the diaper with one hand while your child's standing up. I'd have a diaper bag and I'd be... You over here mixing a bottle, you know, doing that kind of deal. I just watched this show on excellence on, um, on um, I forget, with greatness. And they were interviewing all these sports celebrities, and they had this analyst looking at the lives of these sports celebrities, and they're trying to figure out where does this excellence come from. I love to study success. I love to study excellence. What makes it get there? It's not average stuff that makes them get there. Huh? And one of the things is that they, they pursued mastery of something that they were passionate about. All of you are capable of mastery. 
Your mastery relates to what you're passionate about. Passion means things that you would, you would sacrifice greatly to do. What is it some people would say, I'd sacrifice greatly to go fishing. Well, become a fishing master. You, I mean, you, you get where I'm saying? So we're, we're to pursue this. God's people should be masters. We should, we should, we should pursue excellence. We should, be, we, should be, we should value learning and learning environments. This is the harmony. This is the symphony that Peter's telling them to put over your life. In the midst of all of this chaos, build a symphony in your life. Temperance, mastery, patience. We all, I, you hear me say this a lot. It's hypomeno, moving under pain. Let your life be a chorus where you move under pain. Just because it's difficult, you move. Just because it hurts doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. We don't move under pain. The word patience doesn't mean let patience have its perfect work. Patience means you move when it hurts. You do it anyway. It hurts. It hurts. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Move under pain. Hypomeno. Godliness. Godliness is not outward. It's inward. That's what this word is reflecting. It means a heart that is always positioned to honor the Lord in whatever it takes. Where do you position your heart throughout the day? One of the things the Bible's telling us to do is to build a symphony of sound around our lives, that our lives bring these music to, you know, that our heart, no matter whatever the situation is, my heart is positioned to honor the Lord at any time and all times. That's what godliness means. Godliness isn't managing your externals, making sure your hairline doesn't hit your collar, you know, uh, or making sure that the women don't wear makeup in churches or any of the other stupid things that we try to say is godly. The Bible reflects godliness as an attitude of the heart that is always positioned to honor him no matter what. When in doubt, honor the Lord. It's not honor you. It's not honor people. It's honor him. That's, our, that's, our, that's, that's what godliness means. So he says, add to it godliness within this part of the symphony of sound. Then he uses brotherly affection, which means bonded loyalty. Loyalty should be among brothers and sisters. Preference should be among brothers and sisters. The Bible says do good to all, but especially to the household of faith. Right? Right? So if you're going to prefer one another, you prefer each other. We're, split, we're brothers and sisters here. You understand that? In, in a world where no one is for you, we need to be for each other. One of the successes of the Jewish community, and somebody asked me this a while ago. I got to close. Somebody asked me this. They said, you know, why do you think that Jewish communities and stuff like that, why do you think there's always a lot of prosperity about, around them? And I said, because they prefer one another. And they're always for one another. They realize that the only thing they have is themselves and each other you know, in this world. You know, we got Jesus, obviously, but we, we have each other. We need to be for each other. We need to support one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to pray for one another. We don't need to be jealous of one another. You know, we need to not divide. We need to, we need to, we need to prefer, serve one another, help, encourage, support, preference, favor. Uh, last one is love. Seek the highest good. So he's saying, put these seven notes into your life. Let these seven notes be part of your life. Let virtue be part of your life. Pursue excellence. He's saying, let knowledge, put yourself in learning environments. Invest in yourself. Grow, right? Temperance. Learn to master something. Become very, very good at something, right? Patience. Move when it hurts. That's a sound. It's how we produce. And, he's, and then the last is love to seek the highest good. And what he says here, he says, if you possess and develop and pursue these qualities, you will not be ineffective. You want a key to success? He's giving you one. How do I be, how do I be effective? He's telling you. Pursue mastery, pursue excellence, pursue knowledge, pursue these things. These are the things that you pursue. You will neither be ineffective nor will you be unfruitful. The goal of the kingdom is not success. The goal of the kingdom is fruitfulness in God's eyes. 
What does that look like? So God, God's standard, he just builds out from there, but God's standard is something that anyone can meet. When people are around you, do you better their lives or do you, more, or do you complicate their lives, right? It, it, this is what fruitfulness means. Do we add value one to the other? You know, am I adding value to people and are, am I allowing them to add value to me? That's fruitfulness. It's multiplication. And it's being able to interact that way. And it says, if you, those who do these things will produce those who do these things will be, fruit, uh, will be fruitful. Those who do not do these things, he references this too, he says, are short-sighted. They have no idea. They cannot see the big picture. So if these things don't matter to you, and these are not active parts of your life, the Bible says the Christian that doesn't pursue these things is short-sighted. You can't see past your hand. You don't see the bigger thing going on here. And it says also you forget that you've been cleansed. And so what is he saying there? You don't know who you are. You don't know who you are, therefore you don't understand the purpose of your life. You don't know who you are, therefore you don't understand the purpose of your life. And you cannot see the purpose in which your life is connected to. So we're to pursue these things. The Bible says if we do it, we will produce. And he says if you do it, you will be fruitful. Right? And if you don't, and they don't matter to you, just understand, okay, I'm probably not going to be productive, and I'm probably not going to be very fruitful. And I'm short-sighted, and I really, probably that's an that's a indication that I don't really know who I am. When these things are not pursued, we don't get it. We don't see the big picture. We've forgotten who we are, and we're not living from the right place. We draw into and from the now. The message to Peter in this book is that you can seek the future with confidence. That's the, that's the, to the Christian, it doesn't matter what comes on you. It matters who's in you, right? It doesn't matter what comes towards you. It matters that what is on you. Your favor's on you. Favor's on you. Favor's on you. I'm just going to close right here. If you don't know Jesus, if there's people in this room you've never given your life to Christ, and there are people out there that don't, that never given their life to Christ, and you don't have a lot of confidence in the future, and you're not really sure, and you don't know what's going to happen to you, you don't even know where you're going to go when you die, and you don't have a confident assurance in that, and you, you're just guessing. You think you're going to, you think you're going to go somewhere, but you're not really sure. Well, you can know. The Bible speaks of confidence in Christ, and so what Jesus asks of us is that we give our lives to Him. And in turn of giving our hearts to him, he gives his life back to us. And you say, well, why do we need to do that? Because we have a sin problem. Every single person born into this world is born a sinner. You're born separated from God. You don't even have to do anything. You're born that way. That's why you must be born again. We're born sinful. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death or penalty or eternal separation from him. The gift of God is life eternal through Jesus Christ. Say, how do you get it? It's real simple. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, right, and that he's risen from the dead, he'll grant you salvation. He says, I will come into your heart. You have to not believe in your head. You believe in your heart. And you open the door of your heart through the prayer. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open, I'll come in, right? So we're going to say a prayer. We want everybody home too. If you don't know Jesus, today's your day. The Bible says today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week. When God presents salvation to us, it's not something to think about. Th this is the offer you don't refuse, right? He's extending something. Just like he says you obtain it, you have to lay hold of it. God extends something to us, and we have to lay hold of it. And Jesus is extending salvation. He's extending an opportunity. He's calling you out of something, and he's saying lay hold of it. So we're going to pray, and we're going to close. So say this quick prayer, very simple prayer. All you got to do is open your heart and receive. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. 
So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. All that you are, I receive as mine. And from this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. All right, come on. We'll have a prayer team available. Listen, there are people in this room that need to have needs. There are people in this room that are in a lot of transition, and, I can, and, and several of you have talked to me about it. So I've asked for some extra prayer people to be available. And if you're part of the prayer prophetic team, if you'd go over there too. And if you need prayer, don't leave without prayer. You understand? Yes? If you need prayer, that's what it's there for, right? So let people pray for you. And let me pray over you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.